When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bij Burger King gebeuren spannende dingen. Wat dacht je van een classic cheeseburger, chicken nuggets burger of sundae voor maar 1 euro per stuk? En dat is nog niet alles. Alle King deals zijn maar 1 euro. Haal ze nu alleen bij Burger King. Good afternoon. Welcome to Royal Blue Podcast, uh, the Monday night pod. Um, sort of one where we usually pour over the, the, the weekend's game and... Uh, Usually we're not quite as a grim mood as this, although I, that's not really reflective of recent weeks. But let, you know, Stamford Bridge aside, I can't think of a, a worse performance this season. Um, it's me, Greg O'Keefe, Gav Buckland and Dave Prentice joining us this week. And Preno, you watched it yesterday. Where'd you huh. start? <laughs> I know Kuman uh, said afterwards that he was worried about some aspects of the performance, and understandably so. But the biggest worry for me is that it smacked of a performance from players that don't really believe in what they're being asked to do. Uh, and having come so quickly into a new manager's reign, that really, really concerns me. Um, you know, certainly the tail end of the Martinez regime, we could see it. You know, we could see quite clearly the players didn't believe in what they were being asked to do. Um, initially, under Ronald Koeman, yeah, great. You know, so the players were buying into it. They were changing things. They were you know, speaking very, very positively about the impact on the training ground, you could see the impact on the pitch. But certainly in the last five or six games, whether it's a confidence issue or something, I don't know. But what worries me most is the apparent lack of urgency in so much of the play. I mean, that was embarrassing, that first 60 seconds, where I thought much of the day too was a bit harsh in highlighting Aaron Lennon as being you know, the guy that was you know, at fault for not you know, closing down on the halfway line and losing possession. But everything that followed that, I mean, Leighton Baines was far too slow in getting out to close down. Gay gave the ball away. Gay gave the ball away and won a tackle, the kind of tackle he was cleaning out very early in the season. And in Phil Jagielka, it looked like a fairly standard headed clearance, which which he missed. So you could pick holes galore in it. But from that moment on, the urgency was lacking. There seemed to be players that weren't quite at it. And that worries me. I don't know whether it's something to do with confidence or whether it's something worse than that. But you know, Ronald Koeman needs to get to the bottom of it very, very quickly because it's all very well looking ahead to January, which we are doing thinking, great, okay, well, new faces will come in and they will change things around. But there's an awful lot of football to be played between now and then. Yeah. An awful lot of very, very difficult football matches that have got to be negotiated. Otherwise, Everton will find themselves you know, at the bottom end of the table. Yeah, I, I said last week, um, David, and I said that actually the last couple of weeks, is, you know, as you say, you mentioned January. Actually, there's probably a few players there who know they've got no future under Q yeah. and they've been told that already. And any organisation yeah. where you've got like a group of play, a group of people of employees who know that they've got very limited future or restricted yeah. future, that's bound to be reflected in their performances. Yeah. Not only that, sometimes that attitude can sort of then then sort of drift towards other people. Yeah. And I do think that that maybe is one of the contributing factors at the moment. Is this just this uncertainty? Uh, around uh, people's futures has probably affected their game. Yeah. Whereas at the start of the season, where players were playing for the futures, maybe you just saw a bit more of a, you know, I won't say positive attitude, but, you know, a bit more determination to succeed. And whether now people know where they stand, 
there's this like the sort of like this uh, period I'd say which is very dangerous now, isn't it? Over the next five or six weeks, yeah. we were playing some good teams, better than we played so far, probably yeah. than City. Uh, we're though we're seventh at the moment. That's only because <laughs> the teams were equally, you know, going through mm-hmm. poor yeah. on a form, the same as us. Uh, that are keeping us there, and and I think that to me is 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 the reason that I can think of. That that makes sense, but if that is the case, I think that reflects badly on uh, Ronald Koeman's man management, because you know clearly you've got to try and overcome that. You know, if there are players who are in the squad that you don't fancy, you've still got to use them, and you've still got to you know make them feel wanted yeah. to get the best out of them until ultimately you dispense with them. I mean, clearly Umanias, you know, he's laid his cards on the table mm. in that respect, but. He's been quite supportive of Phil Jagielka, of Leighton Baines, of you know the older players that you would, you know, people that you would think that maybe are nearing the end of their uh, mm. their shelf life. He's been quite uh, publicly supportive of them. So I don't know, maybe the players need to look, you know, so longer and harder themselves. I think, yeah, I think what concerned me was that there was very little difference in that performance and the latter stages of well, the, the very death throes of Martinez's reign, yeah. games of you know Sunderland away, uh, Leicester. All right, we didn't concede the shed load, but we we did that at Stamford yeah. Bridge a couple of weeks earlier. But you know, one win in in eight, uh, one win in nine in all fixtures. That sort of haphazard defending for the first goal and a pretty lacklustre repast, really. You know, I saw somebody say, "Oh, go one nil down in the second half." We did. Surely that was the kick up the backside they needed to come back and win the game two one or three one. But they just. I think Phil made the observation. They didn't seem to get the competitive spirit fired up and to really have a go at it until about an hour later. Yeah. And I just think, yeah, you know, Cumin. It's it's very early days and he's shown so many positives. But what was the difference between that and the end of Martinez's reign? The the big the horrible statistic that we're getting trotted out afterwards was that Gareth Barry shot in the last minute was the first shot on target. I think in the last three away games, and again. You know, it smacks of a lack of urgency, a lack of passion. Um, I, don't, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I know Joe, Neil Jones today has uh, written a piece about is it time to introduce the kids. Mm. And there is a suspicion that Ronald Koeman isn't as willing to you know, utilise kids as you know, maybe Martinez or you know, even David Moyes did uh, because he's very much an of, them, of the now, mm. of, of, the t- of the time manager. He doesn't look at a long-term project. You know, he wants instant results. Therefore, he's not likely to indulge Tom Davis for six or seven games, mm. or let's see how Mason Holgate does. But you'd argue, at the moment, those kids would probably give you a bit more passion and a bit more urgency than we're seeing at the moment. And in games where you're desperately going to need that, like United at Goodison and Watford away and Arsenal at Goodison, mm. uh, I don't think there's anything to be lost by you know injecting one or two of them in. Yeah, I, I would imagine that when people saw Josh Sims playing Southampton yesterday, yeah. that was the, the first thing. Well, that should be like Tom Davis exactly, yeah. playing. Yeah, I mean... Picking up on Penno's point from the start, I was thinking about yesterday and afterwards about that, you know, um, that definition of insanity, you know, like doing the same thing yeah. over and over again and expecting different results. And yeah. I'm not, not creating anybody's mental health there, obviously, but like that's a pay, that to me is like what appears to be happening at the moment is that with a few tweaks behind Rome, we're very, very much putting the same team yeah. out week yeah. after week, aren't we? Yeah. But then expecting. Ronald's expecting something different, yeah. but it's just not its just not happening, is it? Well, he changed yeah. it at Chelsea and we got something different that yeah. Well, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I yeah I'd say that that, yeah. was, that was like yeah. sort of the defensive errors rather than tactics, but it's, you know, still, it was by and large the same people, wasn't it, really? Yeah. And um, that, that's the worrying thing for me is that we're not really doing anything to try and address it and whether that 
maybe tweaking the formation slightly, maybe going nobody pays like this four two three one at the moment, where it's like at City where they played four three three, they appeared to be a little bit more compact mm. and a little bit more more fluid, especially when McCarthy came on mm. in the second half and whether like the scope is actually to play four three three. But that includes Bell actually saying to Ross, actually, you're not part of 43 play McCarthy if he's fit, Barry, and it's just a guy who's actually three, and then playing Ron and two out of whoever. Yeah, yeah. Ron, Balassi, and somebody mm. else as your three. Maybe that's like a short term answer, because nobody feels like this 4 2 3 1. It feels stale. It yeah. definitely feels stale. Um, the formation, I mean, it, I saw somebody tweeted, uh, I think it might have been Elliot Bretland, tweeted that. Uh, it was the same. It's the same old, tired, almost like Groundhog Day uh, scenario. Four, two, three, one. Slow start. Concede. Chase the game. Maybe he drops the three at the back as we push forward. And that pattern has become really familiar, hasn't it? And the sort of goodwill that that we Everton engendered earlier in the season, when you know, they beat Borough, beat Sunderland, it feels like a distant memory. And as you say, whether it is. I'm always loath to kind of because Ross Park gets the finger pointed at him way too quickly, and it's always you know everyone else was awful yesterday as well, so it'd be unfair yeah. to single him out. But that position where he plays is so important, really. And if it's in a four-two-three-one, and you need to support Lukaku, I just don't think he's doing enough to justify his, his place in the team. Well, I mean, we saw a number of misplaced passes from from Ross yesterday, but I mean, and again, an alarming statistic was that you found Romelu Lukaku with a pass once. Once in 90 minutes, I think. Oh, sorry, twice. Martin Stecklenberg found Lukaku more times than Ross Barkley, and Ross Barkley's the number 10. Now, does that mean that Ross Barkley maybe isn't, you know, earmarked for that role? He could be better, you know, used elsewhere. I find it a difficult one discussing Ross Barkley because he clearly does have an immense amount of talent, um, but you just don't see it expressed as often as it should be. A number 10. Has got to be, you know, a really sparky, sprightly, creative player. You know, in the Eden Hazard, in the Philippe Coutinho mould. You know, a player that makes things happen, that scores goals, and you know, creates chances regularly. Ross scores, you know, a reasonable amount of goals, but you don't see in enough, you know, that spiky creativity around the box. And I don't know, is, is he better? You know, as a number eight, maybe. You know, so as a, you know, a whole. It's a regular like discussion, but he's not yeah. even scoring goals at the moment, is he? No. He's no. shooting. You know, yeah. he used to have quite a. Deep Decent success rate from shooting outside the box. Yeah. He seems to stop doing that. Yeah, but sometimes you can pick up the ball too deep, can you? You know, like you say, you want it to be a 10. Yeah. You want to play them just that role, you know, like David Silver or something, like in and around the opposition box. Don't be dead yeah. But Ross is picking up the ball sort of like in our half, you know, on occasions. Mm. And having said that, I mean, not passing to Rom, that not necessarily might be Ross's problem. Rom's also got to make himself available and yeah, find yeah. space, yeah. hasn't he, you know? Yeah. And that was the other thing yesterday, and just the thing, but but Rom, isn't it that, you know, sometimes he needs to put his game head on, doesn't he? You, you get the impression that when things aren't going well, he's one of the first whose heads go down. Uh, you know, when tailing the last season, for example, like the last two or three months, he was going through the motions entirely, and you just worry that something similar might be happening now. In the you know, performances aren't good, uh, results aren't good, so he's not the type. It's going to like absolutely turn into a firebrand and try and make it happen. You know, Diego Costa, if you like, he'll just wait until the service returns again, and then you know he'll become the very, very good player that we know he is. And yeah, he does need to do more. He makes needs to show himself more. But it's a two-way thing. You know, he will always claim, I suppose, that if the service isn't there, he can't do that. There's just an awful lot of things wrong at the moment. Quite how you uh, rectify that in the short term is difficult to put yeah. a finger on. 
we have to mention the skipper again, Jagielka. Someone mentioned uh, during the sort of uh, the fume, inevitable fume, and un- understandable fume afterwards. That there's a fear that there was their fear that it was going to be like a sort of slow death by a thousand cuts, like Distan suffered, where all that goodwill engendered over many years of, of, of faithful kind of displays and being a good club man and a good p- defender might be eroded, especially in this sort of social media age where yeah. each display, if this isn't just a protracted run of bad form and if it is actually just the end, then it's going to be eroded in, in it. In a sad way, really. Well, it sounded too sentimental. I think it would be sad. Um, I'm still clinging to the, the hope that it is just a poor run of form. Because, you know, in general sense, he's not... He's only 34. Now, you know, Distan started to go when he was 36. So I hope he might have a year left in him. But the evidence at the moment is suggesting not. Again, he didn't cover himself in glory for the goal. Again, Prano, you mentioned that Neil Jones stats piece. He, he lost far more headers than he won. Um just just didn't cover himself in any sort of what you would expect level of performance. Yeah, it has been worrying for a couple of weeks now, and the time surely is right for for Funes Mori to be given you know a, a run, if not an extended run. I mean, I'm not a massive fan of Funes Mori. I think he does you know act a little bit rashly on occasion and you know dive in far many times than he ought to. And I've always thought that Jagielka is the older, more composed head. Um, but at the moment, Jagielka is costing Everton goals. I mean, he cost Everton you know, all three points at the weekend yeah. by not winning that header. Uh, the, the penalties that he's conceded this season. I, I like Jagielka an awful lot, uh, and it has been a fairly dramatic uh, erosion of mm. form. And like yourself, I hope that maybe it is temporary rather than long term. Uh, but I think the time has come where you know changes do need to be made. Whether that's Mason Holgate coming in, who did nothing wrong for me at the start of the season, I didn't really see, you know, why he should lose his place as quickly as he did, uh, or you know, Murray certainly coming in, you know, things like you said earlier, Gav, you know, sort of repeating yourself and expecting, you know, things it's to change. Results, yeah, yeah. It, do, it doesn't happen, so you know, changes do have to be made, and you know, that, that's certainly two obvious ones that, that could be made, you know, so defensively, because even the fullback, you know, areas, you know, Holgate has played fullback before, and Coleman has been so in and out for me this season. Yeah. I mean, all right, he pulled that ball back beautifully for, you know, it's just a guy who should really have done a lot better. But it, it was a fleeting moment, you know, his passing has been awry this season. And Baines, he, you know, he hasn't quite come back and been at it. Uh, yeah. like he should do. You can pick holes all the way Yeah, through. we could too. I mean, before you book, you know, we look at the look at the yesterday, you've got Steckenberg, who's what, 34. I know yeah. slightly different with keepers. Jags is 34 as well, yeah. isn't it, as you said. Yeah. Ashley Williams is 32. Yeah. Leighton Baines is 32. Gareth Barry is, what, 35, is he? Yeah. You know, 36 this season. Going on 36. Um, so that's like sort of four or five year players out of 11. Yeah. yeah. Who are like 32 yeah. plus. In a and league which is like so intense. Yeah. Now. And Phil Nolte called in Demonet and Dad's Army. Yeah. There was a dart up a bit in this morning. That there, was, there was a line that says, you know, that's a 2011 feel about it. And I think... Those individual players are decent, but put them all together sometimes yeah. in the same mix. Yeah. All the weaknesses tend yeah. to be found out a little bit, don't they? And if you think like James is what James is what James is twenty eight, isn't he? You know, so you haven't haven't looked there. I mean, Blassie's twenty seven, isn't he? There's mm. only Roman. Top of my head, Roman Rossi were probably under. Yeah, under twenty-five, perhaps. Mm. I think Seamus is one of those players. I'm not for a second suggesting that twenty-eight is old in any terms, even in football terms, where ageing is kind of like a totally different concept in some ways. 
he's got a lot of miles on the clock, hasn't he? Because a bit like Rooney in a sense, not quite so young, but he did. He was thrust into the Premier League at a young age yeah. from Ireland and, and started playing regularly for Everton. You know, oh, yeah, in his been, early twenties. Yeah, it's been a couple of years ago. He's all played the season by some distance, wasn't he? Yeah. You know, and I think uh, you've only got to see some of the clubs he's been linked with in in his time at Everton. Like, but he's another one where that general malaise is just extended to over yeah. the last sort of six to twelve months and. And, and and that was the point I was going to raise. Is bear in mind you just basically not criticised, but you know we pick faults in like most of the team yeah. apart from. Do you think that the January transfer window, Cummins looking at a completely different light to what he was being at the start of the season, based on what he's seen so far in terms of the number of people that he's got to got to bring in or wants to bring in? I think he would have to. Yeah, I mean I, I saw a a word or an interview recently where he talked about you know the number of players he was looking to bring in and you could argue that most positions you know you can improve on significantly um yeah to begin with you know managers will come in and they'll always be you know pleasantly surprised you know by some players and they'll uh, other players will be not quite as good as they were anticipating um but i think you know Ronald Koeman will have rolled his eyes i think over the last few weeks and thought you know there's an awful lot of uh, attention being needed in several areas here and that has, you know, worries and concerns all of its own anyway. You know, trying to bring in five or six new faces and trying to embed them into a new team and a new system very rarely works. You know, and January's always seen as a bit of a, a, a panic transfer window to buy in anyway. But this is looking like, you know, sort of panic stations at the moment. Um, things seem to be unravelling so quickly. And given how testing this little run of fixtures coming up now is, mm. It doesn't take you know a wild stretch of the imagination to see Everton you know going into the Christmas fixture list you know having only one another like one out of the next five or six games that'd be like what two wins in fifteen and that's like relegation form that and you know there's sufficient points in the bank early doors to you know maybe stop Everton falling down that far but you know that malaise just seems to grip the whole club then the fans get dispirited you know yeah and, and that's the point because I I thought at the start of the season that. You know, maybe like get three or four in, in January and then three or four or a bit yeah. more in, in the summer. So you're incrementally mm. building on the team, <coughs> you know, building Excuse the team me. up. But, and that's easily done than bringing eight yeah. players, seven or eight players in January, isn't it? But as you say, the market's not the same. Mm. And also, as well, you're in, integrating players mid season. Sometimes you get the players when in January, they're not even fit, are they, after yeah. the time they're not being played? And um, I just think it, it's caused. This little run and, and what's what may happen between now and Christmas has caused us a bit of a problem with the January yeah. transfer wins are early about yeah. and how it then affects the longer term strategy of the club. Well you said I think you, you said it before and Phil definitely reflected it in his verdict yesterday. I think it's dangerous and, and maybe naive for us all to expect January to provide all the answers because just you know, building on what you've you both already rightly said about January, the likelihood is based on past transfer windows, is that Everton will do their business right up to the wire. So in other words, right at the end of January, it tends to be when Everton do the business. Um, I'd like to hope they might, it might change because needs must, but it's been the case in the past when it would have been better to do the business early. They don't tend to. So that's almost another month without these new players. Then the players come in, and as you've both said, they need time to adjust, they need time to get to understand the teammates, the manager get to play the system of supposedly high tempo pressing yeah, that Cumin demands, although I haven't seen much of that recently. Yeah. So you could be looking at at least until March before really, if you, if you want to expect in an ideal with all those players to hit the ground. 
I, I guess he needs the forward player or the second striker to come in and almost hit the ground running to make this season anything other than you know realistically we've been lucky haven't we because we're still yeah. seventh somehow that that can happen as well I mean thinking back to the Nikita Jelovic signing you know not that many years ago who you know transformed the team you know and hit the ground running like you say unfortunately he stopped running after six months <laughs> but you know for, for those first six yeah, months he yeah. was something else and so you know if you make it the right kind of signing in January it can give everybody else a lift around them yeah. and you know so transform things but finding that player is easier said than done and you know certainly a, a striker that's going to fit in I mean the current setup you know the there doesn't seem to be room for like another striker in the squad. So quite how you would, you would do it, I don't know. And I, I can't think top of my head of a name out there. You know, there must be somebody in the European leagues, but you know, it's re relying on that person to then come in yeah. and to settle into the system very, very quickly. Should we sign Yellow Pitch back? Do you think, Dante? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where is he trying it? Is he or whatever he is? Yeah, he yeah. started running since then. <laughs> has he? Yeah. I mean, we haven't really. It's difficult because I think before he got injured, he wasn't at the level that we'd sort of hinted at. But Mohamed Besic has been off the radar for a good long while. Now, he's someone who definitely wears his heart on his sleeve and I think it's it's a little bit overstating it, of course, by saying we need some passion back. You know, you need, yeah, passion, but you need players who are at it as well. I, I just wonder if, you know, he certainly doesn't lack uh, edge and, and menace and aggression when he plays. Maybe he's, the, a, yeah. could be... The new like a new signing well, when he's fit again. Under to Cooper. me, you know, he's the ideal replacement for Jesse Gay when he goes to the African Nations Cup. Um, but it's whether you can keep Besic fit. I mean, his his entire Everton career has been plagued, doesn't it, with yeah. you know, yeah. hamstring. When's he out till Besic? I think he's getting. Year, I think he's in the final yeah. phase of his rehab, yeah. so he's looking at. You know, I, I would be surprised if he wasn't back by January. Yeah, I've not really seen enough of him to no. decide whether he's. You know, he's had the old good game. I think City. Man City in, in the, the semi-finals. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not really seen enough of him to, to decide whether he's a good player yeah. or not, to be honest with you. Yeah. Mm. As I say, he has gives us an option that's not there at the moment, but um, the jury's out and you do wonder, you know, how long again is it before he, he breaks down Some again? Like, again you know? yeah. I mean, McCarthy appears to be in that sort of start-stop mode as well, doesn't he? Wasn't you know, even the in moment. the squad yesterday. You know, um, we've got a few players like that, hasn't he? Leighton's a bit like that, has been for 18 months, which hasn't helped in a... So there's, you know, I think there's a lot of lot of groundwork to be done. Yeah. Isn't on a slightly less uh, less grim note, it was a, a pleasant scene at Goodison on Saturday, Prano, yeah. wasn't it? When the Golden Vision. Yeah. Returned. And, uh, to be honest, I didn't realise he, he was quite as uh, as old as he's seventy nine years now, um, and he doesn't get down to Merseyside very often these days. He's had you know a couple of health issues in recent years, um, so it was absolutely wonderful to see him uh, back at Goodison again. Reveling in the you know the limelight that you know Everton Evertonians of a certain age you know offer him I absolutely adore the guy, and it was um, an initiative that David Francis put together. He, he he's like Alex Young's number one fan, I think you would be fair to say, and um, he decided to put together what he's called a follow up uh, to the Golden Vision, you know the, the seminal 1968 documentary. Film, yeah. yeah, and it's it's almost you know a, a, an up to date documentary you know of Alex Young's story. Uh, with lots of comment from people, Duncan Ferguson you know, is on it, uh, you know, Walter Smith, loads of people talking about Alex Young. And I think uh, Saturday was the final edit, if you like, whereby the audience that was watching this uh, documentary are then going to be included in the final edit. So, you know, a really nice idea. But it was, it just, it, 
it brought back memories before my time I hasten to add as well we <laughs> uh, did debate that before <laughs> the podcast uh, of Brian Everson you know so truly were great you know when Alex Young was a member of a title winning team in 63 and an FA Cup winning team in 66 and a time when you know footballers were absolutely idolised and it, it was just a, a really well put together afternoon it was enjoyed by the people who were there uh, I think Alex himself, you know, so certainly loved being back at Goodison again. We've got some lovely pictures of him, you know, in the Alex Young suite and you're pointing at one of the team pictures on the wall in Goodison. So, uh, you know, we'll be using them the next day or so. But yeah, it just in, in light of what, you know, was experienced the following day, it was, uh, it was a positive moment in the afternoon. And we haven't had too many <laughs> Yeah, probably do with them now, to be honest with you, couldn't we? Like, you know, no, I think it's interesting, Young, isn't he? Because there's always been a paradox to me about his Evans, Evans career and dare I say, I wasn't around to, to watch him, is that, you know, by his old admission, he could go missing in games, yeah. couldn't he? So for somebody who's, it's this paradox that he's probably the most worst player in Goodison history, but actually, when you look at his career, you know, there was times where he, he went missing. But well, yeah. there's, there's a crack yeah. in, when I was walking into work on Friday morning, one of the cleaners here, older fella, called me over. Oh, he says, oh, you're yeah. going to this Goodison thing tomorrow? And I said, oh, you Alex Young thing. I said, oh, you remember him, won't you? Yeah, yeah. He was crap. Yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I said, what, are you sure? And you, same thing, he said that you yeah, went missing. Yeah, the but, but that's the point though, isn't <laughs> it? It's, it's the heights that he reached yeah. at certain times or certain games in his career. Very few Everton players have, have reached. And also as well, he embodied that skill of science yeah. ethos that very few, if any, have, have matched. And I think that's why he's so beloved though. There's an underlying yeah. paradox in his career. Um, and then there's probably, fa- you know, over the pe- far more effective players over the seven or eight year period but it was the peaks he reached yeah. in that time that he's remembered for yeah. and, and, and the spirit that he embodies in a style of play that I think uh, that's why he's worshipped isn't he yeah, yeah very much so it was in an era as well you know when football fans you know lived breathed you know sort of drank their football because I know you know nowadays you know there's a you know a huge amount of passion and intensity about you know supporting your football club but you know I remember what it was like in the 70s certainly and I believe in the 60s it was even more so it was absolutely relentless you know so people just you know absolutely absorbed every single bit of their football club applaud David France for for going in the extra mile for doing it as well and uh, brilliant to see him back in Merseyside I implore you if you haven't seen the Golden Vision to dig out a copy I think it's on YouTube uh, you can find a copy uploaded. It's a, it was a BBC Ken Loach film, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, absolutely hilarious and a real insight into. Well, it's of uh, its time, isn't it? You yeah. Know, there's a you know a couple of uh, risques. <laughs> yeah, you know you raise your eyebrows up, but um, it's just it's an insight into what watching football was all about. Yeah. And one of the guys here actually interviewed a, a chap called John Munro, who was a, a young supporter. It was actually in the film itself. Um, and you know, Ken Loach had just said he wanted a group of genuine Evertonians who were going down to the game in our, our Arsenal uh, to appear in it, and they did. And you know, back in the days when you had to, you know, jump on a in a transit van and travel, you know, eight or nine hours overnight yeah. because the M1 wasn't open properly, and it, it was just an incredible snapshot <laughs> of, of history. I was doing that in the eighties, though. To be fair, <laughs> I took the back of a transit van, like yeah, yeah. yeah. So well, at least we've finished this podcast with smiles on our faces, and I didn't expect that when we started. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back on Thursday as we reflect on some different themes and look towards the small matter of United at Goodison Park. Thank you.